Well, we're closing out the series this morning about faith. We've talked about how faith is portable. It can be carried with us wherever we go, and it's meant to be. We've talked about how it's resilient, and it can be resilient because God's absolute love for us, unconditional love, frees us to receive and give forgiveness. And we talked about that faith approaches life without an agenda, that every conversation is not about trying to convince you I'm right and that you're wrong. Uh, and by uh, token, you're not trying to convince me that you're right and that I'm wrong, that a conversation is about listening to one another. And if we are transformed by the conversation in any way, perhaps it's because we have a relationship after we've talked and listened. Um, this week we talk about faith as something that's practicable. Uh, it's practical, but it's also practicable, which means that you can practice it in everyday life. You can find ways to make a difference in the world by the way you practice your life. Now, for too long, particularly since the Protestant Reformation and the Enlightenment, we have thought that faith is something you contained in here. And some people thought it was something you contained in here. But as the book of James reminds us, that a faith contained in here and in here that does not come out here is not faith at all. It's dead. So faith is something that is practicable. It's made real. Now, there are practices that can bring us closer, that it can open us up to the reality. I talked about one uh, during the centering moment. For me, every morning, morning sitting centering prayer, the practice of letting go, using a sacred word to let go of whatever thought or feeling I have, so that I can simply be open for God's presence carries over into the rest of my day. So that when somebody cuts me off in traffic, you know, that used to be something I used as an illustration of my challenges in everyday life. I am no longer, well, okay. I am not challenged in the same way I once was because people cut me off still, just the same. And I don't, I don't go there. I just let it go. I just let it go. Uh, in the same way that God lets go of my brokenness, my alienation, the things that I do wrong, I let go of other people's things that I perceive that they've done wrong. I let go of thoughts and feelings because I'm not those. You know, we live as if every feeling I have is me, and it's not. We live as if every thought we have is me, which is why we walk around with so much shame and, uh, about ourselves is because we assume that because we had a thought, that makes us bad. We had a thought. We weren't that thought. You notice the verb we use? It's not I am my thought. It is I have a thought. I have it. I possess it. I let it go. It doesn't possess me. But if I let myself be drawn into it, I am possessed by the thought. I am possessed by the feeling. I become enraged and I act on that. So my morning practice of letting go helps me when I'm angry, when I feel emptiness in the pit of my stomach, but it also helps me when I'm struggling. This last year, when Linda was in the hospital for 34 days, and the first 11 days, she didn't know who I was, and she was mostly unconscious, but when she was conscious, she called me sir. <laughs> uh, there was a, an utter sense of loss 
that the only way I made it through was with my daily practice of centering prayer. And the good news was, it sounds like bad news, but the good news was that we were late enough in the COVID game that I had visiting hours. But we were not so late in the COVID game that I could be there any more, even as her husband, than four hours in a day. So it meant I had to leave the hospital. It meant I had to come home. It meant I had to eat food. It meant I had time, because I couldn't be at the hospital, I had time to sit my morning sit and once again throw myself on God's love and trust that even though I believe God protects us from nothing, God does sustain us in everything. In everything, I have been sustained in the good and the bad in every moment of my life as I look back on it. So practice makes better. Uh, I, I no longer deal in the image of perfection. I just don't. I don't think it's a helpful image at all. I just keep practicing, knowing that with each practice, it's the practice itself. It's trusting myself to God. That's enough. It's not about some kind of perfection I'll ever achieve, because I won't. And I'm okay with that. Even though I took a vow when I was ordained that I was going on to perfection in love in this life. Uh, perhaps I will reach perfection in love, but I do not think I will reach sinless perfection by any stretch of the imagination. So practice looks different for each one of us. Today, Linda's not with us because she's at Lorton Community Action Center, part of a distribution of food to hundreds of families for their Thanksgiving. So they will have a Thanksgiving, they will have food, and that is part of what they're doing. And so when she gives food, when she's part of making that happen, then she is practicing her faith. When you hold the door for someone, you are practicing your faith. When you say a kind word to someone, even after they've said something unkind to you, you are practicing your faith. Those are little practices, but they all add up. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, says this about practice. And I think it's important. This is after he's done the Sermon on the Mount uh, in its entirety. He's talked about the, the Beatitudes. We did a whole sermon series a couple of years back on the Beatitudes. We talked our way through blessed are the poor in spirit and all of the rest. And he's talked about how faith isn't a show that prayer isn't a show, that helping each other out isn't a show. It's helping each other out. That judgment, judging your neighbor isn't okay. He said all of those things, and at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says these words in chapter seven, verse 24 of the Gospel of Matthew. He says, anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a sage who built a house on rock. When the rainy season set in, the torrents came and the winds blew and buffeted the house. It didn't collapse because it had built, been set solidly on rock. Anyone who hears my words but does not put them into practice is like a fool who built a house on sandy ground. 
The rains fell, the torrents came, the winds blew and lashed against the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. Practice versus non-practice. Now, you may or may not know that we United Methodists, uh, following in the footsteps of John Wesley, have three rules. We have three general rules. And it's, uh, it's not don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke. It, uh, you know, it was not those rules. Those are, uh, you know, very surface level rules. The rules are do no harm, do all the good you can, and an oversimplification of the third rule is love God, but I don't, I, that's not a good simplification for me. Uh, John Wesley said, attend to the ordinances of your faith. Now, that sounds very complex, and it sounds like a bunch of rules. Uh, more rules. I thought there were only three rules, James, and now there's a subset of ordinances I've got to attend to every day? I believe what John Wesley was saying, because then he lists a lot of things that are like prayer and reading the Bible and giving to the poor and all of these other folk things. I think what he's saying is uh, that third rule is find the practices that give meaning to your faith and do them so that your faith will have meaning. Practice your faith in such ways that your relationship with the eternal God is enhanced, built up, that love grows within you. Because in the end, isn't that what the practice of faith is? It's not something we just feel in our head because, let's just be honest, thoughts come and go. Heck, I can't sit still very well. This is why I have a centering prayer practice, and I've had it now for nine years. Nine years of centering prayer. Can I always let go of my thoughts? Absolutely not. Do I get on some of those thoughts and ride them through the entire 20-minute sit? You better believe it. And I might get off one thought to get on another. <laughs> and feelings rise, too. So we are busy thinking our thoughts, solving the problems of the world, taking ourselves out of this very moment God's given us. Because think about the thoughts that you're thinking. You're either thinking about how this will have an impact on you later today, maybe, or you're thinking about something else that's going to be happening later today. Maybe there's a favorite football team that's going to be playing later today, and you're concerned about whether they'll win or lose, and, you know, like you're worrying about it is going to change the outcome at all. Uh, but we think up problems even when we have nothing on our mind at all. We think of a problem so we can think about it. Or we go into the past, but we're almost never where we are. Part of the reason we sing uh, the songs that we sing on Sunday morning is to bring our presence. We lift it up to God. They're, they're praises, but they're also meant to draw us into this space. The words are meant to be a way of abandoning ourselves into this space so we can be present with God in this moment. And every practice of faith is about being here now. Think about it. When you give food to somebody, it's right now meeting their need. Two weeks from now, they may be hungry again. And hopefully you're around or someone else to give them food again. But right now, you're meeting a need, and that's now. 
When I do centering prayer, it's about trying to get me back into now, not following my feelings off in a different direction, not following my thoughts off in a different direction, but being here now. Active prayer. When I pray and lift something up, for instance, this morning we'll be lifting up David and Donnie, but David is back to driving now. He's improved enough that he can drive. And he drives himself to his doctor's appointment and drives himself back again. So uh, that's a big step forward. You know, sometimes, you, as you remember, if you ever watch me, one week I'm just not sure. Is David in the hospital? Is David at home? Is David in the rehab center? Is he back at home? Oh, he's back in the rehab center. Oh, he's back at home. It was like Russian roulette. Every week we just spun it and just waited to see where the ball would land. That's roulette, not Russian roulette. Whole nother thing. Let's just call it what it is. In the end, faith is meant to be practiced in your everyday life. How will you practically love your neighbor? Not have warm, fuzzy feelings for them, because that's not love. I'm sorry, no matter who told you that those hormones that rush through your body sometimes are love, missed out on what hormones are. <laughs> love actually requires that we be present with the other. Love actually, uh, love is hard work. You know, one of my uh, favorite teachers, Richard Rohr, who is a celibate, so he's single and has been single all of his life, and Richard is in his 70s, says that marriage is probably one of the most important spiritual practices you will ever have because you have to make room for the other. And there's no walking away from it. You know, I can love my neighbor from a distance because I don't have to see them. I don't have to be engaged in their lives. I don't have to listen to whatever they have to say. If they disagree with me, I don't know because if they're far enough away from me, I can just feel warm positivity towards them, which is not love. <laughs> but I can feel that because I don't have to hear what they have to say. That just drives my blood into a boil. But bring them a little closer. Let me see what they look like face to face. And suddenly, faith isn't so easy. Love isn't so easy. Then it's hard work. And that's why you practice. Because as my son is wont to tell me, when he played high school, when he played high school baseball, and you know, all the other leagues of baseball that he played. You keep throwing, if you're playing third base, you keep throwing to first base, not because you don't know where first base is, but because you want it to become muscle memory. When the ball comes to you and you know the play is at first, you want to just let it go. Receive it and let it go. How was that? That was pretty good. Except if I had a ball, it wouldn't get to first base. It might not get to the pitcher. Uh, but. I watched Josh do it, and Josh could make it happen because Josh practiced it, and it became muscle memory. Practicing faith makes it into muscle memory. Continuing to practice lets you let go of the things that have held you back. I don't know how we're going to get justice in the world, but I know in my corner of the world I'm going to do my very best to practice love and to practice justice in my little way. 
and to call out injustices when I see them. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't have a few conversations about that. I've called out injustice before, and I've had some people come to me and tell me that they didn't think that was an injustice. And we had a nice little banter afterwards that became not so nice a little banter later on. And it kept, that is the challenge, because we need to keep practicing. If I practice letting go enough, I'm not going to get angry when you disagree with me. I'm just going to recognize you see the world in a completely different way than I do. And if you practice your faith enough, you're going to say, all right, well, James is going to preach every Sunday morning. And rather than believe he directly channels God, I'm going to believe he sat with God all week long, that he journaled, that he prayed, that he read the scripture, that he did some background work, and that he's going to get up and he's going to say the best he can, and sometimes it's better than others, the best he can, what he thinks the text is saying now. And you're going to know I'm not infallible. I'm not. And you're going to disagree. And it's going to be okay if you disagree. It's going to be okay if you don't see it the same way. In fact, one of the most intriguing things when I first came to St. James, especially when newer people started coming, and this was back in the 90s, people would, you know, I have to tell you, one of the reasons why I miss Roseanne, uh, who died several years ago, is because that girlfriend would call me out in worship. Do you remember when you said this three weeks ago, James? How does that apply right now? You're saying something different. She would call me out. Now, I'm not telling you any of you dare call me out, because if you try, I'm going to call you right back. No. I don't want you to be afraid. You know, I, I want you to recognize we don't always see it the same way, but I'm going to do my best to communicate love to you, not only in my words, but in my thoughts and my heart and my actions. And I'm going to look for that in you. Because I believe in you. I believe in God, but I also believe in you. Because this strange thing appears to me about the practice of faith. If God didn't believe in us, we would never have gotten free will. God hopes against hopes and believes against all and has faith in us. Faith must be a relationship. In the same way we're invited to have faith in God, God has faith in us. I want to live into that faith. I want God to be pleased with the things that I do, the way I practice. And if I drop the ball, if it comes to me at third and I'm supposed to throw it to first, and I pick it up and it slides out of my hands and rolls into the dugout, I'm going to just trust that this was one throw. It wasn't every throw. It wasn't every moment of my life. This does not destroy everything I've ever done. It was one throw. The next time it comes to me, I'll try a little harder not to have it roll into the dugout to throw it to first base where I'm supposed to, or second, or the pitcher, or home, or tag the runner, whatever it happens to be. I want my faith to become muscle memory. I want it to be something that I don't just have to think about, but that I know that my first response must be love. Look at Jesus. Because Jesus set an example of how you and I are supposed to live. 
He was not 16 steps above us, so we only wish we could be like that. He set an example because we could be like that. Maybe not every time. But when somebody interrupted him, he talked to them. He listened to them. He loved them. Then and there. That's how you practice faith. And he just kept doing that. He just kept doing that. What is he thinking? He's thinking that if you keep practicing, you keep practicing, you might respond more quickly and better. Because as a human being, we need a lot more muscle memory to love. Even though it's natural to us, we've spent a lifetime learning what to hate, who to hate, so it's going to take a lot of work to get to a place where we don't have to be afraid of each other, where we don't have to hate each other, where we don't have to judge each other, which Jesus told us, by the way, is not our job anyway. Practice your faith. Do no harm to anyone. And be careful what that means for you. Do all the good you can. Do you notice? There's a limit to that. How much can you do? Once you've done it, that's as much as you can do. Don't think, oh, I should have done one more. Do as much as you can do, as much good as you can, and in the end, find the practices that transform you and make your relationship with God something that's real. That's why it's practical and practicable. Practice your faith. Practice it. Not just when things are bad, but when things are good, so that when bad things happen, you'll be able to hold on. It's time for us to pray. Next week, we start a new sermon series. I want to invite you to uh, be mindful and be in prayer as we start that series. We start with the wise men. We're, we're switching it up. As we move in towards Christmas, we're going to switch it up, and next week we start with the wise men. The name of the series is What to Expect When You're Expecting. Because we're expecting Christmas, what should we expect in expecting Christmas? What to expect while you're expecting. Next week, the wise men. So be in prayer for that and for preparation that leads to that. I want us to pray for all those who will be traveling and those who won't. This is our second year as, uh, it, for Linda and me and the kids, uh, just with our nuclear family for Thanksgiving. Uh, we couldn't go down to see my parents last year because of COVID, and because of COVID, we're not going anywhere this year either. Um, and so we will just be the four of us probably, unless somebody pops in, uh, which is always possible, I suppose. So I want us to pray for everyone who's traveling, Everyone who's experiencing a disconnectedness about, about their Thanksgiving practice, I want us to pray for justice in our world. Without justice, there cannot be any peace. So I want us to pray for justice in our world, and I want us to be able to see it. I want us to pray for those in need in this season who are struggling. I'm not just talking about physical needs like food or clothing or housing. I'm talking about needs like emotional needs, you know, uh, heart needs, um, 
people who are struggling in this season for a variety of reasons, I want us to pray. I want us to give thanks that David is doing better. I want us to give thanks that Janet's doing better and that Sharon's doing better. And by the looks of it, Tracy's doing better. Uh, I want us to give thanks for those. We're, we're quick to ask, and I think that's good. We should. But I also think we ought to give thanks when there's something to be thankful for. After all, what week is it? Thanksgiving. So that's enough. We'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray out loud for us, and then we'll join together in the Lord's Prayer, a version of which will be on the screen behind me. But you pray the Lord's Prayer in the version you know, or the one on the screen, or in your own language, in whatever way you wish. God will hear it just the same. Could we enter into a moment of silent prayer together? God, we'd kind of like to be like the sage. We'd like to hear your words, the words of your son in teaching us, and we would like to put them into practice so that we will build our house on a solid foundation. We don't want to be fools. <laughs> Although we are foolish sometimes, we do not want to be fools. We want to hear your words and practice, not hear your words and ignore them. Help us, O oh God, to practice our faith in everyday life in ways that will build kind of a muscle memory, a strength, a response that isn't just a reaction to everything that happens, but is considered and loving and kind. And that we do it only when it's necessary. Help us, O oh Lord, to reflect you in our words, in our thoughts, in our emotions, and in our actions. Help us to know that we are going to drop the ball sometimes. Help us to be a little bit less judgmental about ourselves. Part of the reason, O oh Lord, that we are so judgmental of everybody else is mostly because we're pretty daggone judgmental about ourselves. So it becomes easy to just pass that judgment off on somebody else. Help us to recognize our mistakes, to seek forgiveness for our mistakes, and to rise up again and try again, trusting that you will always be present. We need to practice our trust in you. Sustain us. You already do. Continue to sustain us and give us strength. And in those moments when we feel emptiness or anger in the pit of our stomach, help us to give it over to you, trusting that you are God and that your love is unconditional and our preciousness to you is infinite. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thanks for all that he did and all that he is and 
the things that he taught us that we want to practice, help us. Help us because we need it. Lord, we give you thanks for all the good things in our lives. For the tough things as well, we give you thanks for those that we know of. Tracy and Janet and Sharon and David and others who have felt your presence and the power of healing as they have made it and recovered and continue to recover. We pray for all those who are struggling in this season. And we pray that we would live a thankful life. Whatever's going on, we give it over to you. We ask for your blessing upon our lives, for it already is there. We recognize it and seek to live it. And we lift this whole prayer to you in the name of Jesus, your son, who modeled a prayer for us, which we use now. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.